Welcome to Emerging Evolution. It's podcast. I'm going to let my partner introduce himself. This is Calvin the Draped Maniac. What's up? And this is Rowdy the Inclusive Activist. And today we are going to take on the idea of historical trauma. And this is the hard turn. Yeah. This is the one people are like, I don't believe it. They can kind of buy the bystander. That's some BS. But they're man. like, what? It hurts? <laughs> the people that do it? Yes. You're like, y'all are sellouts. Y'all are trying to help the, the mm. perpetrators. You're trying to, like, defend Bit the man. Good house slave. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> but that's part of the problem. We mm-hmm. only look at certain things in certain ways, and right. this is how the per the situations perpetuate themselves. So we understood that now, the thing in the last podcast, we understand historical trauma and how just observing the harm that happens mm-hmm. that creates the historical trauma really affects bystanders yes right just understanding that getting our head around that idea and knowing that when you see these things happen you think it's okay right it's fine if it's not happening to you right uh, which lets the system continue to perpetuate right which allows the harm to continue to perpetuate Mm -hmm. and also validates harm as a way of getting things done and that's only looking at it though the sad piece like we talked about was through that materialistic social lens not an energetic spiritual lens to this you know of the psyche man yeah. how is this really messing with my sense of like being able to chill you know so right yeah, yeah and we were talking about that before we started the podcast we talked about sleep rest right right like well-being right you know like the illness wellness thing yeah like, I, the we i know right <laughs> i think they have that idea and i think where we're going to spend most of our points is our next two areas uh, we're going to talk about how historical trauma and harm affects perpetrators of violence. After that, we're gonna look into talking about about this illusion of benefit. If you are a perpetrator of harm, what is this illusion of the things that you get? Right. And I think that's where we can kind of take on some of the, so make sure we get to this, because I've had people go like, well, you know, if you're gonna be a nonviolent person, like, shouldn't you just go back in time and like, kill Hitler as a baby? Mm. And I'm like, mm. Mm. do you really wanna kill babies? <laughs> like, do you wanna be a baby killer? Like, even if it does mean, Whatever, like you, now you got baby killed. Well, then, I mean, then, but then where do you stop? Then, like, exactly. Then you kill his mom and daddy, and then you kill their mom right, and daddy, right. and then you. And now we're talking about pretextual crime, <laughs> and like, whoa, it gets complicated. Right. All right. So historical trauma and harm, and how it affects perpetrators. So I'm gonna let you go off on this because I loved how you framed this idea of peril. Well, okay. Real talk is a story from when I was little. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was little, grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, man, me and my buddies would run around inner city and we would throw rocks at pigeons. Mm-hmm. Okay, we hated pigeons. Pigeons would poop on us. Yeah. Pigeons would jump around and just, and for some reason we just had this war on pigeons, man. He's just like, fuck up the pigeons. He's like, you know. And so, <laughs> Poor pigeons. <laughs> yeah. Hell, so man. we would just throw stuff at pigeons. No wonder man. they shit on you. Yeah, well, anyway, <laughs> man. So. We would just throw, and you know, you never hit them, and they would just scare them away, like, yeah, I hate the pigeons, right? Yeah. And one day, I'll never forget, I threw a rock, and it hit a pigeon, mm-hmm. and it flipped over, and it didn't move, mm-hmm. and it died. Yeah. Man, I felt like dirt. I felt horrible. I felt disgusting. 
I cried. It haunted me for days. I went back, I buried the pigeon. And it just, for like weeks, I would always, when I would go by that place, I would see that pigeon. I would see its little it body flipping over. Yeah. I would see, no, even though it wasn't there yeah, in yeah. my mind's eye. You're replaying it. I was replaying it. I saw its little belly and just, you know, its little gray body just flip. Mm -hmm. And it haunted me. Mm -hmm. And so when I think about that was an act of physical violence that I was doing for no reason. Mm -hmm. You know, just being silly little guys for no reason. So you, you take that act of a group of people traveling across the country mm -hmm. and they're on a railroad, right? They're on a, a car, they're in the, the rail car and whatnot. And, you know, they're given shotguns and rifles mm -hmm. and they're told, shoot at those natives mm -hmm. going by. Kill those people. You know, anybody you see out there, if they come up to the train or begging, it's okay for you to shoot at them and kill them. Mm -hmm. And I just believe that some people, don't get me wrong, sociopaths are real. There, yeah. there, there is that out there, right? Yeah. But the majority of the world, I don't believe is that. Now, we do have sociopathic systems. Yeah. Systems that are designed to exploit and just use and consume for pleasure. Mm -hmm. I, I can't help but to think that people that did that stuff felt horrible mm -hmm. somewhere deep inside of them and they had to do something to rationalize the evil mm -hmm. well this is going to help our family this is going to clear the land these people are ungodly yeah they had to use something to rationalize we'll it. kill them so god can right redeem well them. well they'll they'll be better like the spanish inquisition when they yeah. did the horrible stuff these people will be free of their paganistic ungodly trappings of this world free mm -hmm. of their bodies and they'll get into heaven when they die right right that's just like no fuck that that's you rationalizing your mm -hmm. sickness okay and so chattel slavery same thing people use the curse of of canaan the story of ham mm -hmm. to justify that these folks that now they were calling black were in a sense marked and cursed and justified and deserved this and then even rationalizing that well, these people don't feel pain like other folks. They don't have the receptors in their body. They're they're stronger. They're mules. They're like ox. You know, they can handle it. Yeah, we talk. I talk about this in one of the podcasts. The racial empathy gap. Like everybody right. believes, the darker your skin, the more pain you can take. Well, no proof. Well, then think of that. So then that ties into what issues around patriarchy, right? When women in the room are crying and upset and feeling stuff people are like ah she's emotional yeah she look irrational. at her that's irrational but when the guy when a cisgendered straight guy is crying and feeling these emotions oh my god he's so brave mm -hmm. he's being so vulnerable mm -hmm. i can't believe that look at him that mm -hmm. is you know he's stepping out of the box of manhood and he's given credibility yeah whereas the woman her credibility is questioned yeah. by showing the same kind of emotion right and so this is what the perpetrator, like historical trauma, like residue, it looks like. It distorts people's perception of other people's pain, but it also perverts their spiritual like standing. Mm -hmm. It perverts their capacity to be fully compassionate, yeah. to really like empathize with others, to have possibly authentic relationships. Relationships that are really meaningful and deep and not just based on some kind of transaction. Yeah, I mean, if you're conditioned for harm, right? Right. 
you can rationalize it, you've got good reasons for it, you're rewarded over and over. Right. How are you going to have good, positive, sustainable relationships? And this is where you got populations of peoples feeling isolated, mm-hmm. individuals feeling like, can I really trust anybody? Yeah. Do they really like me? Are they just using me too? And so it, it becomes this sort of like constant anxiety. And that's why I don't use the phrase white privilege, I use white peril. Mm-hmm. This constant anxiety and worry of, well, when is payback gonna happen? Right. It's always when, a payback. When it, when am I going to be outnumbered? Yeah. When, when am I going to be outgunned? Turn? Right. Yeah. Outsmarted. Yeah. When is the the pain that has been caused going to blow back? Law yeah. of physics, reciprocity. You yeah. know. When is that going to happen to me? And it creates this anxiousness, and where instead of like surrendering, mm-hmm. instead of you know falling into it, leaning in, as Brene Brown talks about, mm-hmm. right? Instead of doing that. What people tend to do is they become bigger and badder perpetrators. They mm-hmm. become, they do more harm. It's like somebody that hurts someone. Instead of saying, "I'm sorry, I apologize," yeah, they rationalize you it. They, yeah, you double yeah, down. You see that in masculinity, exactly. Right? I'm not a man. Double down. Yeah, yeah, double down on the same thing. So, take that at a you know at an industrial, institutional, systemic level, and you get what's happening with us in the world right now politically. You get the rise of fascism. Mm-hmm. You get a lot of like hyper masculinity you get a lot of just overt misogyny that is like celebrated yeah you get a lot of just twisted stuff that somehow seems to be deified and like looked upon as progressive and helpful and it's it's really dangerous yeah and so the perpetrator i think what people are probably wondering is like well how do i know if i'm a perpetrator if you're benefiting from the lie that we call civilization, if you're benefiting from these racial deification and demonizations, if you are not trying to create a new economic model outside of the realm of capitalism, communism, socialism, and fascism, if you are just living life as usual, you're involved in the perpetration. See, and people get that and they're like, yeah, but I don't know, Calvin. I, like, how, how do you, like, where's the proof, right? Like, where's the evidence of that? Well, Number one area of growth of mental disorder, anxiety. Oh, man. Anxiety is more and more and more and more and more and more being diagnosed, right? Anxiety for what? Like, if you look at Western world civilization stuff, the world's not getting incredibly harder. No. Like, it's actually seems like it's getting incredibly easier. Man, we pay at the pump. Right? (laughs) Come on, it's pretty easy. I know. But still, anxiety is still high. Yes. While convenience is, is higher than it's ever been. Right. Look, look at the studies on happiness. Yeah. Look at the studies on happiness, man. Like these ideas of a happiness index. Some of the most so-called poorest places in the world, mm-hmm. people that don't have clean and safe drinking water, mm-hmm. tend to. We talk about joy and whatnot. Now you got to be careful with this because then some people will say, "Well, see, look at these people. They're so simple." Yeah. They're so simple. They don't have complex human issues and what. No, they do. Yeah. All right. The thing is, is just this. There's this game we play with little kids. We tie this thing on their arm. We do it in the uh, the uh, institute process, the Baha'i community, and where you tie this thing on their arm and their other arm behind their back, and they have to drink some water. And you tie this thing on their arm, and they can't bend their elbow. Mm -hmm. And you tell them everybody has to get a drink of water, right? 
And so what do they try to do? They try to drink the water, but they can't bend their elbow. Mm -hmm. So the water's going all over the place because the yeah. other arms are behind their back. And they're like, give me more water. And then you fill up their little cups. Everybody has to get a drink. And then they're spilling. And then they realize, oh, crap. I can't just feed myself with this. Mm -hmm. I can't just, I got to help the other person. I can yeah. use my arm to help you drink. Yeah. And then they go, oh, and then they're right. all excited. Yeah. What's the trip is that this game is played in children's classes all over the world. Three areas of the world kids figure it out the, the most. When we get the data from all over the world, mm -hmm. Colombia, Congo, and Cambodia. Cambodia has more landmines than any other place in the, in the world. Mm -hmm. Congo's got all this war, over 11 oh, yeah. million killed, over diamonds, coltan, you name it. Colombia, 50 years of war with like the FARC and everything was going on. These areas where people would call hell on earth, kids figure it out the fastest because they realize what their commodity is, what their resource is, is community, mm -hmm. is each other. Mm -hmm. They gotta rely on each other. Yeah. In our society, we so deify the individual. That historical trauma is built on the meritocracy myth, the rugged individualism, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, and that means steal other people's boots, bro. Yeah. And from that shit, we're wondering why we have rising suicide rates. Number one rising suicide rate population, older white men. Ironic. Well, if you believe in meritocracy, <laughs> but still you find yourself having less and less at the end of the day, then something's wrong with you. Yeah. Right? Man. That's the only thing you can come to. I'm the failure, right? So, like, when you talk about people whose farms get foreclosed on, yeah. they're shooting themselves in the head and the behind the barn. The dude that worked for that company for 40 years, yep. showed up every day, never caught out sick, yeah. and just before he retires, he's getting the pink slip. Yeah. And right? no pension anymore. That's right. That's yep. right. And he's like, I did everything right. Yeah. And I'm white. Right. <laughs> and what the everything hell happened? Everything should be fine. Right. They right. commit suicide. Yeah. Because they think it's them because they believed in the myth of the rugged individual. Well, this this is the residue of historical trauma on the perpetrator. And I'd like to say right now, straight up, to all my brothers out there where you identify as cis, straight, gay, bi, or <laughs> transitioning female to male, if you are a human called white, Stop subscribing to the lie of whiteness. Confront this illusion because it is killing you. It is really killing you. And start earning a new humanity by confronting the lie. Learn about those human called white that fought this stuff of all identities, women, men, gay, straight, bi, from various nationalities, belief systems. But the perpetrator is in a lot of peril. And usually when the perpetrator is in peril, when you have it, here's the other danger. When the oppressor starts to convince himself that he's oppressed. Yeah, and you see some evidence of that. Oh, we talk about shootings in the workplace. You talk about what's the alt-right stuff that's going mm -hmm. on. You talk about a lot of hell because of this delusion that the oppressor is now the oppressed. Yep, reverse racism. As though you can reverse that shit. Yeah. Well, it, the, even the phrase reverse implies that it is the wrong direction. Right. <laughs> Just in itself. Right. That's some crazy shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
but that's where I think we gotta like dig in. And I like that you brought up the intersectionality of stuff, right? Because like so often you just hear it through the white frame, right? Because right. I mean, and whiteness. I'm not taking anything away from the damagingness of whiteness, right? But it, it's like for a second, look at it through another lens. So we're gonna put up ability, right? Mm -hmm. Right now, we are humans called temporarily abled in this moment. Right? Yes, we are. Yes. When we get older, yeah, we go. will lose these abilities. Yes. And because the system favors those who have this ability status that we temporarily reside in, yes. then we're going to have to pay four times as much for adaptive equipment to help us just get by. Right. When if we just all owned, later on, we're going to need these things. It wouldn't have to be that bad. But Roddy, you're talking about village stuff, man. You're talking about a, a, a model where elders are seen as the holders of wisdom, the holders of the story. Even if their body begins to break, their their spirit is growing greater. Mm -hmm. And we do not have that model. Our model basically is an economic model that if you cannot produce and consume, you are not worthy. Yeah. And it's amazing because we're watching old people at one place and young people at another. Yeah. And they always used to hang out together. Yeah, man. And was there somebody else that like move around and make sure people got out of danger a little bit quicker? Yeah, but you yeah. need a lot less people to make sure that that was okay. Right, right. Because the other part is like the old folks taught the young folks in ways that the young folks could understand and like adapt to better. But, you know, it was a natural symbiosis. Yeah, man. And then we took that away. Yeah. And then we're, we're wondering why it's just not working. So. Why are we so afraid to die? Well, look at the death process. Well, it, it, that's that's another thing is, that's where the God complex of this stuff comes in, is this lust for immortality. Yeah. Instead of the idea of birth and life or like it's two wings of one bird, man. Yeah. So yeah, birth and life, like understanding that's part of this process. I really think the more we start to talk about death, then the perpetrator mindset will lesson because the fear underneath the perpetrator is the death of their positionality mm -hmm. the death of their status yeah the death of their hoarding of power that somehow they will no longer be top dog we talked about in a podcast previously how some people see sharing power is equal to losing power mm -hmm. and so the perpetrator when they start to understand that they can let some of these ideas die a lot of them just die and begin to develop new ways of living, new ways of being and doing. There's a liberation in that, man. There's a freedom in that. But until that happens, you're gonna have a lot of anxious folks with a lot of guns. Yeah. That's really dangerous, man. Well, and I think we might need to even almost begin to celebrate the death process. Yeah. You know, like, hey man, it's been a good life. And you've had a good life. Yeah. And like you've taught people things, but now it's an end to you. And it's time to pass the baton. Yeah. And you did a great job. We're happy for you, you know what I mean? But like now you get to rest. Man. Now you gotta like get those old bones up anymore, whatever else, you know, like, you know, if we if we were if we saw life as understanding there needs to be that end. And it's a good thing that there is that end. And that it takes you on to whatever else, because energy does not die. Right. We don't know what happens, but we know it doesn't die. So your energy is going to change, but that's it. Well, this the the big challenge also with this, because race intersects with every identity. Yep. Race informs the way we look at able-bodiedness. Mm -hmm. Race informs the way we look at gender, mm -hmm. sexuality, class, mm -hmm. religion. Right. A lot of folks that I've talked to that are really anxious white folks have this idea that if we start to share power, the white race will disappear. 
that it'll be a genocide of white people. White genocide. And it's, it's one it, of my favorite. Well, well what blows ideas. me up is like, well, first you have to really believe in the concept of race. Right. That somehow based upon phenotype, you know, our pigmentation, melanin, eyes, hair structure, that somehow that informs our capacity for morality and hard work and intellect. No, you this stuff just just changes climatic adjustments from traveling all around the world, involuntary and forced integrations. And so, as well as voluntary integrations, some people came together because they chose to. I mean, the area we call Rome and Greece, by our standards today, those would have been interracial sections of the world. Mm -hmm. This is where people from lands now called Africa, Europe, and Asia, all just kind of co-mingled and whatnot. Mm -hmm. The beef was religion. Right. As well as- Class. Class. Yeah. The old shit. Yeah. The normal. <laughs> so now, what you're telling me then, Calvin, so I'm a social justice warrior, right? <laughs> right? I'm out there, I'm fighting the good fight. Right. And I'm trying to make a better world. And so you just told me, so the easiest bad guy to pick right now is obviously our president, as, as it stands, right? So I'm a social justice warrior. You're Calvin, you're telling me right now that, that our president is got signs of harm because yeah. he's a because he's a perpetrator and you're asking for me like are you asking me to have empathy for this person yes and i've gone in prisons and worked with people that are murderers mm -hmm. rapists people that did horrible acts mm -hmm. i don't condone what they do mm -hmm. and all way anyway do i condone it and if they try to do it again I would even physically try to stop them, mm -hmm. right? I yeah. would, I would do it. I'd risk my life for the people they were trying to hurt, mm -hmm. and possibly, if necessary, die in the process of stopping them committing those crimes. But that doesn't mean that I do not love those individuals. That I cannot care about their heart and their spirit. This person that we will, you know, 45 Cheeto that will go unnamed, like Voldemort. Mm -hmm. People can have empathy. And this individual shows a lot of signs of little boy trauma. Mm -hmm. A lot of signs Seriously. of little boy trauma. A lot of PTSD yeah. signs. Yeah. And therefore, this individual is can be very dangerous. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying we condone the behavior. We condone the actions. Mm -hmm. I'm saying we begin to operate from a space of, this person is sick. Mm -hmm. With any kind of social binary where you have privileged and oppressed populations with any kind of binary of oppressed and privileged the oppressed are the most affected mm -hmm. e-f-f-e-c right mm -hmm. but the privilege are the most afflicted mm -hmm. a-f-f-l-i-c right and so that affliction shows up in very dangerous ways but that doesn't mean we have to forsake our empathy mm -hmm. forsake our virtues and become or twist into the monster that's trying to twist us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the danger. Yeah. Right? When I talk to you about like, you know, I'm a social justice warrior, like I work in this frame and I do these things, right? Like, I think the the easiest thing to fall into is just to hate the oppressor. The I think people have distorted the concept of warrior. I've been using that phrase for years. I mean, since the 90s, man. And I talk about five archetypes, coward, thug, soldier, rebel, and warrior mm -hmm. and a lot of people what they're talking about is uh they're mirroring in like es what they're fighting mm -hmm. 
And if you mirror what you're fighting, we can become social justice thuggery. Mm-hmm. And the thug is, you know, that's that's been a euphemism for the word nigga. It's, yep. it's, it's, it's a the cloak, new, it's right? It's a new word. Yeah. And, but a thug really is, you know, thugs wear Brooks Brothers suits and they do drive-by from aircraft carriers. White people do thugs so much better than Man, pistol, <laughs> they don't use pistols. They use pens and yeah. pencils to kill people, millions with signatures. That's real thuggery, yeah. right? So thuggery is hurt people, hurt people. Mm-hmm. And if we reflect that hurtful way, then we could become thuggery, right? Mm-hmm. Or we could be soldiers, we're following orders, or we're rebel, we're fighting from a sense of our ego and whatnot. The warrior is willing to die for something bigger than themselves. Mm-hmm. And so the Aztecs, they would like write poems about flowers and love and how even when they had to fight an enemy, in a sense, taking the enemy's life was seen as, now this is some distorted stuff, but if they had to take an enemy's life, it was this act of, like, in their mind, compassion mm-hmm. in order to prevent, like, a, a genocidal or a horrible thing. It was mm-hmm. the way to stop, right? And a lot of these understandings of a warrior, we have learned through colonial lenses, through mm-hmm. colonial education. Mm-hmm. We don't know the symbiotic, spiritual deeper meaningful aspect of what it means to be a warrior Mm -hmm. right so i know you're using that facetiously this Mm -hmm. whole social justice warrior thing Mm -hmm. but for those social justice warriors out there just are you know don't reflect what you're fighting don't be a revolutionary be an evolutionary transcend the cruelty the sickness the affliction defend stand up but it's not you're standing up to them you're standing up for yourself well, and, and to another whole point, like, when you talk about reflect, or, like, reflect means in some way become, mm-hmm. right? And so if you're really against the thing, you can't just be another version of the thing, right? right? You have to completely change what you're doing, how you're doing it, and what your end goal looks like. But I, I don't want to shift this away from the perpetrator. Yeah. Because there's folks trying to confront perpetrators. Mm-hmm. I, I want to remind everyone in confronting the perpetrators you see, don't become them. Right. Like model something different. Yes. And that doesn't mean enabling, kowtowing, kissing people's ass, no. being a good house slave. Yeah. It means to transcend their behavior. Right. To transcend the paradigm, the the motives behind their stuff. And that's the one-upmanship. That's the catching people off guard. That's using deception and trickery mm-hmm. versus just operating from truth. Mm-hmm. The last thing I want to talk about with this is we had to take on the idea of this illusion of benefit. Right. Right. So if we're looking at folks that perpetuate this violence, uh, we understand now that they're showing symptoms of the problem. Right. We understand the folks with the most intersectional privilege may have the most symptoms of the problem. Right, because all that privilege on top of each other means there's a lot of exploitation, which creates all these symptoms, right? Right. So now people will be like, well, what are you talking about, right? So you're saying we, we, we can't use harm at all? Like these folks are getting something out of this, right? Yeah. They right. got money, they're in gated neighborhoods, they ain't got to worry about crime. Well, well they, they're worrying about crime, they're not worrying about street crime. Yeah. They got a different kind of crime going on. It's yeah. the big crime, but anyway. Right. <laughs> but that notion of that it's still worth it somehow. Right. That the ends justify the means. Right, right, right. You know? How do we take on that idea? If it hurts the earth, it can't be called progress. That's just me, bottom mm-hmm. line. 
So anything that's seen as a benefit, uh, if it's exploiting other species, if it's exploiting the elements of the earth, land, water, air, even fire, if it's exploiting people, you can't call it progress. All this stuff around us that we actually call a benefit, it's covered in blood, in my opinion. It mm -hmm. really is. Now, how do we clean it off? Man, I don't know what that even begins, what that looks like. I mean, we're either going to tear it down virtuously, piece by piece, slowly, you know, with compassion and mindfulness, or it's going to come down because the planet's going to humble us. Mm -hmm. We live in an ecocidal civilization. And I say ecocide, like genocide, mm -hmm. ecocidal civilization. And not ego, eco, E-C-O. And so this illusion of benefit is people like, well, I'm making money. Mm -hmm. I got nice clothes. Yeah. So let's consider the idea of, let's just take those two examples. Currency, once you start getting a lot of it, what is the biggest thing most people worry about? How I'm gonna lose it. Yeah. How I'm gonna keep it. Right. How I'm gonna get more of it. Mm -hmm. It becomes your God. Yeah. An insatiable appetite. There's that worry, there's that anxiety, there's that peril. And I'm not saying live in poverty, and poverty, there's many kind of poverties. I think some of the most wealthiest folks on the planet are really spiritually broke, mm -hmm. spiritually bankrupt, man. There's more than enough to go around. Seriously, right? that's one of the things I don't understand, is literally, if, if we were out of balance enough with the earth, the earth will get rid of us, and we oh, yeah. don't have to worry about those right. things. But we are really smart. We're really clever. We can understand stuff when we pay attention. Well, so this, how do we call, how do we make an eco-economics, right? Because mm -hmm. <laughs> our, our economics is not eco-friendly. Right. We need to make an eco-economics, and that's something we've never seen. Yeah. The four European economic models, capitalism, communism, fascism, and socialism, they aren't working. Mm -hmm. The second piece that I was hitting on within that was about wealth. But then this idea of clothing. Most people are concerned with these three ideas. Mm -hmm. How can I get the sex I want? Mm -hmm. How can I get the status I want? And how can I get the stuff I want? Mm -hmm. That's it. Yeah. Especially a lot of men. How can I get the sex I want? Mm -hmm. How can I get the status I want? And how can I get the stuff I want? Mm -hmm. And that's what we're usually working for. Mm -hmm. We're not working for service. So oil industry we know is the number one killer of the earth, right? impacting environmental situations all over the planet. There's a really good documentary, it's called The True Cost, and it goes I'm into- in the middle of that one. Yeah. It, it goes into how fast fashion, fashion as yeah. we know it, is the number two environmental disaster situation on the planet. Mm -hmm. That we just pump out billions and billions of tons of clothes, man, and the dyes seep into water supplies, the fumes release up into the air, it's just sitting there, It it messes with social or senses of worth within people. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a distortion. Mm -hmm. And a lot of this stuff is planned obsolescence. It's planned for the dump. Yeah. It's planned for one use or perceived obsolescence, like skinny heels in the fat shoe year, you know, yeah. fat heel year. There's a really good uh, YouTube video about it called The Story of Stuff mm -hmm. that goes into this. It's 20 minutes, great. So. A lot of times what we've defined as beneficiary, as a, as a benefit to us in some way, is rooted in this delusional, superstitious, ecocidal mindset, man. Mm -hmm. It's not connected to service or collaboration or symbiotic relationships with the earth or sharing of power between peoples and persons. Mm -hmm. it's, it's related to 
who's got get the sex they want, who's gonna get the status they want, who's gonna get the stuff they want. That's spiritually bankrupt. And if and if you believe that that's what it means to be a human, hey, you know, I wave at you in hell. And uh, and hell, I don't believe is an actual place. It's farness from love. It's farness from compassion. It's farness. It's a distance from the stuff that really is infinitely feeling good. Mm -hmm. Because that stuff, you got to keep trying to do something to get at it versus finding the good within. And that's that's bigger than just getting the sex you want, the status you want, and the stuff you want. Well, and it's neat when you talk about that stuff because there's other evidence, there's other like theories and schools of thought that back up what you're saying. You know, they talk about the hedonic cycle, right? You buy something, it's Hedonism. cool for a second, yeah. you throw it away. You buy something else, it's cool for a second, you throw it away. And if you've got that extrinsic, other focused, like status focused, sex focused, mm -hmm. stuff focused mm -hmm. mindset, well, you're never going to have enough stuff right. to be enough, whatever it needs to be. Because right. there's always somebody with more. And if you're you are the person with most, you have to continually prove it. Otherwise, your status is at risk, right? right. But then they talk about uh, intrinsic motivations, right? right. So I want to be a better dog parent to Tank, or um, you know, I want to be the best uh, professor, like in my classes, so I can like have my students leave my door, uh, better people in some way, right? Mm -hmm. These are things that give me like rewards for being a good human, they're acts of service, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. It's things that I can focus on where I can see small bits of growth or improvement. Right. And right. if there is things that are measured by others, they're usually not as important as the things that are measured yeah. by self, right? Like, am I feeling that thing? Am I seeing the, that evidence that I need to see in that way? And, and we haven't created social order where, how do you measure love? Yeah. How do you measure compassion, kindness, generosity, mindfulness, wisdom, zeal? How do you measure that stuff? Mm -hmm. And when you think about relationships, when you think about really authentic, meaningful relations with people, it's not about, like the sex is, you know, important with mm -hmm. your partner. Yeah. You know, the, the status, you know, are you in good standing with your partner? Right. You know, do you all have like fun with the stuff you all have? Yeah. But all those things are symbols of love, kindness, compassion, generosity, you know, acceptance, wonder, awe. And that stuff's infinite and it's immeasurable. And until we start shifting and looking at how do we create that in our relations, not just with each other, mm -hmm. but with all everything, relations, yeah. all relations, right? That Lakota word, all my relations. Until we start really looking at that, these perpetrators, man, are gonna just continue their danger, mm -hmm. continue their sadness, and it'll keep spilling over to the rest of the world. So with that, we've only got a little bit of time left, and so I thought we'd briefly hit on this in the next four minutes. How can we begin, do you think, confronting perpetrators with some of this stuff. Uh, and while you're thinking about that, since I knew what the question would be, I can answer it first, so it gives you some time to think. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things they talk about in nonviolence is you have to understand becoming nonviolent is a personal process mm -hmm. that happens from within. Right. And that you have to start this thing first, right? Mm -hmm. And as the seeds planted, as it starts to grow, as it gets better, sometimes you gotta prune it back because it grows in like messed up ways. You have to share the struggle of that journey and you have to talk about the difficulty of m moving and being this way and then also 
When you're a person first, when you're more empathetic, when you connect to people better, you're really hard to discount. Yeah. You know, I have some friends that are, you know, social justice warriors, right? Um, I have some friends that are perpetrators. Mm -hmm. uh, but when I treat them as human first, when I connect with them first, mm. when I see their situation and I have uh, empathy for their situations, like they listen to me in ways that make me hard to dismiss. Right. Because I'm being, I have this like moral authority where I'm trying to do things in the best ways. I don't always succeed, but because I'm trying to push folks to be more whole, to have less of these symptoms, to hopefully do less harm to other folks and then become more whole people, I think I'm listened to in a little bit different way that allows me to make more of a difference. And I think that's kind of how that virality of nonviolence mm. works a little bit. Yeah. It helps us connect to one another more. Well, with that, that idea of confronting, the first thing I think everybody has to remember is you can't make anybody do anything. Right. Make means violence. Yeah. Right? Force. You can invite, you can encourage. You know, force is finite, but power is infinite. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the big things we push in Social Centric is really trying to get people to understand that power of love, power of compassion, power of virtues is an infinite source of power, mm -hmm. right? Whereas force, that's the violences. Mental, right. emotional, social physical as well as sometimes spiritual but those are finite sources mm -hmm. and so you can't make anybody be cruel or kind mm -hmm. you can only invite people to greater kindness you can only invite people to be more open you can only invite people to practice greater self-discipline because a lot of people are lazy-minded and they just really don't want to change and that's that comes from just a, a that's a sloth mindset mm -hmm. right so the other thing is consider the context mm -hmm. in which this exchange is happening. You know, is this with somebody over the counter as you're checking out at the grocery store? Right. Is this at the workplace with somebody that you see on a regular basis? Mm -hmm. Is this with a person that you're about to spend a full day with in a workshop? And mm -hmm. you know, like consider the context. Is this right. a family member? Yeah. A stranger? Is this a uh, in a moment where? people around you, including yourself, could be in board of danger. Mm -hmm. You know, like really consider the context, right? Mm -hmm. And the more you practice doing this stuff, the faster you're able to consider those contexts. You know, mm -hmm. you, it's not, okay, hold on, let me press pause yeah. on this circle <laughs> K moment and figure the hell what the fuck I'm about to do. <laughs> yeah. You know, and like, no, man, like you gotta practice to build them skills up. So, and then the third thing is really, really figuring out how to ask simple and profound questions mm -hmm. questions to get people so somebody says well all these arabs or all these mexicans or all these black folks or all these white whatever mm -hmm. help me understand can really be helpful is to use that phrase yeah. help me understand why do you see it this way exactly yeah help me understand why you know you believe that all arabs are blah 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 and like you reflect back their statement mm -hmm. but you got to do it from a way of not gotcha yeah, sense of wonder. Yeah, Why like help me out like a child. Like yeah. I really want to understand what you're saying. Yeah. And then if they go, well, why do you care? That's your warrior moment. Mm -hmm. Speak brutal truth. Yeah. Unapologetically. Mm -hmm. Right. With the sense of, like that samurai arrows in your forehead, never in your back. Speaking that truth at the same time, not with the intention of make and force. Yeah. With the intention to defend humanity, mm -hmm. to evolve out of this historical social sickness, and to like build more ecocentric civilization and symbiotic relationships. But the minute you fall into a gotcha and a make, you run the risk of becoming a violent 
perpetrating Yeah, you're yourself. starting to do the violence. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So today, we talked about uh, a little bit about historical trauma and its effects and what does it do to folks. We dived into how historical trauma and how harm affects perpetrators, gives them those symptoms of problems that we need to look at. So remember, when we see somebody that's doing stuff we don't like, they're showing symptoms of the issue that we are attacking, right? So we don't want to attack the person, we want to fight the the ideas that are causing those symptoms. And then we really took on that illusion of benefit, uh, the idea that this somehow helps or does something in a specific way. My name is Rowdy, I am part of the, the duo that is us. I'll let Calvin finish off the podcast for us today, so it's a little bit something different today. Yeah. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can get a hold of us at 860-576-9393. That's 860-576-9393. Love to get to hear from you. Uh, I got to hear from somebody you might know, Mr. Vaughn. He was talking about one of the podcasts I did a little while ago. Oh, was, wow. uh, Yeah, he said target fixation really helped him like understand an idea That's nice. so that That's was really nice. cool yeah. um so if you want to get a hold of me you can in- email me at inclusiveactivism at cox.net or www.inclusiveactivism.com and i'll let uh calvin wrap us up for the day so this is again calvin the drapetomaniac and uh you want to email me that is calvin b b as in boy dot terrell t-e-r-r-e-l-l at gmail.com or you can email me at calvin at calvinterrell.com. Send me uh, a message, a question, a complaint, a concern, open. You can go to socialcentric, centric, C-E-N-T-R-I-C.com. That is um, my nonprofit website. And I'm also at calvinterrell.com. I, I, Rowdy, again, brother, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, like chew it up like this, man, about this stuff. And um, I'm curious, world out there who's, who's ever listening, you know, what are your thoughts? Educate us, send us some ideas. We don't know everything. Nope. We're just fledglings trying to figure help. this out. Yeah, yeah. We just, we just, we're just stepping up and giving us a shot. Yeah, man. We just yeah. need, we do need other people with us to help us out. If there was any expertise about this shit, we wouldn't be talking into this thing. Yeah. <laughs> That's why we need your help. <laughs> so with that, we'll catch you at the next podcast. Uh, for Rowdy, I'm signing out. This is Calvin signing off. Take care. Bless.